Hello, this is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. And last but not least, on our podcast on iTunes. I am so pleased to have in our virtual studio today, Ms. Joe Burkholder, who is a diversity and inclusion consultant. And Joe, welcome to the program. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come in to talk to us about this very important topic that can actually help make America a better place and actually the world a better place because diversity and inclusion is, is a topic that is on the top of everyone's mind. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Darrell. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we jump into diversity and inclusion and equity, um, can you share with our audience a little bit about your, your education background and experience and, and really how you came about being a diversity and inclusion consultant expert? Sure. Um, I uh, went to school to study anthropology and went on to earn a PhD in anthropology, which I turned into, which I basically applied to learning and development, um, teaching in a college classroom, uh, focused on um, human interactions. So how do we best understand how humans interact with each other? What works and what doesn't? What succeeds and what doesn't? Um, I taught a course that was related to inequality in public health. Um, and I ended up involved with a series of different initiatives around uh, diverse, different kinds of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And part of this came about because my specific training within anthropology was in archaeology. And as an archaeologist, uh, back in the day, um, I, was, I was the first woman hired by an all-male company. <laughs> so I got a strong taste of what it was like to be the only person in the room <laughs> that looked like you, that act like you, that had your values, um, and felt how uncomfortable it was, and could look around within the context of the universities where I worked, the professional organizations in which, through which I moved, um, through the communities in which I moved, and could see other people with the same kinds of experiences um, and was moved to do something about it. Um, so took these on, took on role, small roles at first, learned from some really great folks, had some opportunities to, to interact and work with some really great folks early on and get trained um, in broader aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion and how to bring that as a reality into communities. Um, um, and just, it moved my heart, so I kept doing it. Excellent, excellent. So, yes, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you could take some time to define that for our audience. So that, because, you know, uh, you, know yeah. you, you hear all of these acronyms, DNI, DENI, or DIE, you know, uh, the, 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 define it for us. Yeah, so we talk about, I, you know, I have a tendency, I think maybe as a former faculty member, to sort of want to give like terms and definitions and, and hope that that suffices. But diverse, I think the great analogy is that diversity is sort of looking at how many different kinds of people get invited to the party. 
or get to get to come to the table, as it were. Equity is whether or not we're all offered the same kinds of chairs at the table, <laughs> um, or equal access to the food that's in the middle of the table. Um, and inclusion is really being feeling like you belong at that table. Not that you were you weren't invited hesitantly. You weren't invited grudgingly. Um, that you're really there, you're there because you're wanted. Um, and I think some people make some divisions, some subtle divisions between, sometimes we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, but I think inclusion and belonging, at least in my mind, it's that both of those bring that sense of not just, I get to be in the room, I get to have a voice, but that I actually get listened to and taken seriously. Um, and I think that when we do that, or my experience is that when we do that, we get a much broader group of people who can succeed in whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and that allows really innovative ideas to come forward. Um, because people who have never had a certain kind of experience won't see something as a problem and won't, nor will they see the solution. And when somebody says, yeah, but my experience is, is this, we get all sorts of other things bubbling up and, and it so, generates more ideas. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That was uh, really phenomenal. Very detailed. I love the whole concept of the being at the table and the chair at the table and being allowed to ask for those potatoes and nobody look at you like you're strange. No, you can't have those mashed potatoes. But, um, but you know, from why is diversity, equity, and inclusion important to business and organizations uh, globally? I mean, why, why is that? Why is that important? So for businesses, um, what we know about businesses is that when we have a history of one hiring, uh, trying to hire for diversity, and without that equity and inclusion piece, what businesses see are high turnover rates in that diversity, and it means that they're spending lots of money to hire and rehire for jobs that turn into a kind of revolving door, right? And they're losing, um, they're losing productivity, they're losing the money and the effort they invest in, in the recruitment, um, they're losing the ability to carry organizational or institutional knowledge forward every time somebody walks out the door. Um, on the creative side, Right. On the pot, so there's a loss if we can't sustain diversity, equity, and inclusion. On the positive side, when we see people do really great jobs at equity, at diversity, at inclusion, and especially when you bring all three of those things together, you see that companies are more financially stable. They're more financially and, and successful. Um, they produce more innovative ideas. And the people who are working in those companies are more engaged and more productive in what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so the comp and there are, sometimes those are hard things to measure, 
right? Which is why people sometimes hesitate. I can't tell you how much more productive somebody is going to be. I can't tell you um, what it costs, exactly what it costs to have somebody less engaged or less innovative than they might be. But I can compare companies and say the ones who are doing really great jobs at all of these elements are also some of the most innovative um, and most successful and sustainable companies around. To give you an anecdotal compliment to what you just said, during my 11 years at Elsevier, I ran the Americas region. The organization was built up from the ground up to 130 FTEs, full-time employees. And I would dare to say that uh, I had the most diverse organization uh, at all levels, but also we were the most profitable at both the top line and bottom line. And the brain thrust around my table was, was just phenomenal. The ideas came from everyone and we molded them together. And that was over an 11 year period, 11 straight years of, of leading uh, global sales mm -hmm. at, at Elsevier. So um, yeah, I, I think that the data points out that, you know, a diverse organization is successful. And so when you think about uh, a company that is just getting started, they're serious about it, who should be at the table to talk about a diversity, equity, and inclusion program? Like from the ground up, you know, because like they don't, they're like, okay, we, we have this, we have this gap. How do we address it? So what, what yeah, um, there's some really interesting, um, some really interesting examples. There are some folks, I think there's two models for getting the start of a diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative. There are folks um, like um, Robbie Cope, who are, who built, um, let's see, what is it called? Um, 98.6, um, it's a health company. And he said, no, I want this. I know the, I know the case. I know all the business cases for diversity, equity, inclusion. We're going to start a new, I'm starting this new company. I am going to make sure this happens from the beginning. And I'm going to make sure that as we recruit new people, we are, doing things to make sure that our pipeline is as full as it possibly can be with the most diverse candidates, even if that means growing a little slower, even if that means taking a little while longer to have a job advertisement out there so that we can recruit some people who may be hesitating, um, that I can encourage people to go out and, and really seek out diverse candidates um, and there is the other model for new businesses which is it's me and my and my best buddies in my garage in my around my kitchen table and the truth of the matter is is that most of us lead pretty segregated lives um, and we grow before we even think about there's something, maybe there's something missing. <laughs> um, and that's where the diversity, equity, and inclusion, developing a program becomes both more, more, more necessary 
and I think more difficult, <laughs> right? Because you've already started to establish norms and values that might not be as inclusive as we think, right? We tend to work on that, uh, um, that old model of, of famous book, you know, why are all the black kids sitting alone in the cafeteria? Right? Or why are they all sitting at the same table in the cafeteria? Yeah, and, and always, people, and what, I always wanted said, to yeah. ask, why are the white kids sitting at the table together? You know, right? Why? Why do we right. all? Why do we self segregate in the in the cafeteria? It's probably the but, better. But 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 question, you raise but. an interesting question. It's asked of the black kids, but it's not asked of the white kids. Which mm -hmm. which which mm -hmm. which is an issue in itself. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. if the black kids do it, it's wrong. If the white kids do it, it's okay. Right, and the and white folks get to say, well, but we welcome anybody. We're not telling them they can't sit with us, right? So we feel we white people tend to feel justified, and so, well, they don't. They want to be integrated, but they don't come over and sit with us. So it's not my fault. Right. Right. So we shift. There's that shift. There is. A, there's a shifting of blame, as right. opposed to saying, you know, somehow, I fit. If my table, if everybody at my table, looks just like me, maybe I've failed mm -hmm. <laughs> to be as magnanimous and as welcoming, right. right, and inclusive as I think I am. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's it's a is that there's a training that we we don't normally get, which is to sit down at that table and go, wow, who else is, who else could be here that's not here? Right, right. Right, what am I missing? What perspectives am I missing? And there's yeah. all, there's so many is, different and, and what is the body language between folks, you know? And, um, you know, it, it takes, folks have to meet each other 50-50, right? If, Absolutely. If someone's new to area, welcome him in, you know, say, hey, why don't you come have, have a chat with us, sit with us, you know, and then the yeah. person who receives the invitation needs to be hospitable towards that to, yeah, okay, I'll come sit with you, you know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, let me just uh, interrupt for a second. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Ms. Joe Burkholder, who is a diversity and inclusion consultant and expert, and we're talking about diversity, equity, and in inclusion. Because um, we're, believe it or not, we're halfway through the program already. So, oh my goodness, I know time flies when we're having a very nice, uh, deep conversation. So, you know, we, we talked about that, but what are the key elements when you're talking to your new clients? What are the key elements and, and steps to establish a successful diversity, equity, and inclusion program? All right, so I take people through um, sort of four or five steps, um, part of which is, is just being aware, right? Growing that awareness of what do you have, what do you not have? What's the reality of our, of our situation? There is, there's some, a second step is sort of visioning. What would or what could this company this organization look like? What could it achieve? Who could it serve better if it were more diverse? Right? What does it look like? Because just say we want more numbers or because we feel we're under pressure to have, to have we need to have better numbers. Like that's, no one's gonna fall in line with that. 
right? We can't, that's not a problem that's, that's going to be sustainable. That's not a solution that's going to be sustainable. And then to take them through a series of, of sort of an, almost an audit kind of process to look at how they operate. Um, everything from the kinds of folks that they do business with, because we can make conscious choices about the kinds of fellow businesses that we support or fail to support. Where are we doing our banking? Where are we doing our, our accounting? Where are we doing, um, where are we doing our, if we've got outside recruiters, who are we doing our outside recruiting with? Um, we can ask serious questions about our internal policies, about um, how are we, if we're doing our own recruiting, how are we doing our recruiting? How do we word our ads, right? Do we do, um, how do we evaluate resumes, right? It's a very classic example of somebody who decided to feed a bunch of resumes into an AI based on people who'd already been successful and the AI learned the language and basically excluded a whole bunch of people because who you'd fed it, the, the data you'd fed it was all from college educated white males <laughs> who tend to have a lot of the same language and a lot uh, similar kinds of experiences. So the AI learned to exclude people rather than to, to think about language more, more broadly. Um, often in uh, recruiting is really, to me, in my mind, because I've given a lot of thought to recruiting, um, really essential because it is often something we try to move through quickly, right? Um, and when we make those snap judgments about, about resumes, we're making those decisions in that time frame where our brains are most likely to make stereotyped biased decisions. So right? something you mentioned there, um, define for our audience unconscious bias versus right. conscious bias. Conscious bias, right? So conscious biases are things where I could tell you if it was, and if it was socially acceptable, I could say, yeah, I don't like those kinds of people. I don't trust those kinds of people. I think they are dangerous. I think they are lazy. Um, and for many of us, we at least know that those are, in, a, in many contexts, for most of us, that is inappropriate, right? I'm not supposed to hold those, those kinds of, of values. And so I know if you asked me, I would not say it, right? So there's some, there's a, there's a overt, kind of bias, there is a covert kind of conscious bias where I know I kind of don't trust some group or the other, or I feel uncomfortable about somebody or the other, but I don't want to say it. And then there's all this unintentional programming, to use a, a technology analogy, programming that our brains get along the way, because we see it in images because we see it in stories, we, or we hear it in stories and, and the, the kinds of media that we consume that equate certain kinds of things, uh, certain kinds of values with certain kinds of appearances, 
right? So the most common one that people have tested most frequently is the difference between um, people being smart and good and trustworthy and being white and being scary, bad, or otherwise untrustworthy and having darker skin, right? And we don't mean to have those things. We, in fact, consciously, if you ask many of us, we would say we don't believe that. But it's been implanted in our brain through our culture. And when we don't take time to do things meaningfully or mindfully, um, which normally takes slowing down a minute, then our brain tends to make snap judgments based on that, that unconscious bias and those prejudices. Because that's what our brain was evolved to do, right? Make snap decisions so that we don't get eaten by a lion, <laughs> right? But the same decision is not helping us when we're trying to relate to each other. And so um, how long, what is the time frame uh, that you share with your, that you work with your colleagues on from the time that they say, yes, we want to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, we're going to launch it. And how much time does it take to evolve? I know it's probably every company's different, every culture is different. Um, for them to, to, to say, okay, we're starting to hit some performance metrics, success metrics, that we know that our culture is evolving to the betterment of the organization. Right. Um, I think that's where a lot of people get hung up because it is a slow process, right? Um, regardless of the size of your organization. Um, sometimes the bigger organization can generate more numbers, but once you have a program in place, something in place or culture in place, it's hard to generate change in those numbers, right? I can't, if you've got 100,000 employees, I can't dramatically change the number of, of diverse employees, um, people of color employed, unless I fire a bunch of other folks, <laughs> right? And I don't really want to do that. So changing those numbers um, can be slow. Uh, whereas if you've got a company of, I don't know, 20, and you hire two people, woohoo, <laughs> right? Big numbers. Um, they've only hired two people. Um, so you can, changing the diversity numbers are, is hard, can be hard, and can, or can be a misleading measure. Um, I like to work with people and think about through a combination of survey and, um, and some, essentially some ethnographic data collection to talk with to talk with people in the workplace about how are you feeling has it changed right um and we can start to see that happen maybe in a year with it or less depending on how ready organizations are to change and how much buy-in there is from folks at the top um, i've encountered places where somebody at the top has said we should go do this but then doesn't really invest in the program um, or changing anything at those sort of managerial levels. Um, and I've seen places where somebody at the top said, we've got to do this, we're going to do something now, and I am going to hire the person and put them in place, and they are not going to report to anybody but me. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going to give them 
free reign to do mm. whatever it takes to make change. Um, and if that person is talented, then they, they find those folks who are really willing to be part of that effort. Um, and I I've seen change happen mm -hmm. in certain kinds of programs in, within a year. You know, in our uh, preparation for this interview, I shared with you my experience at uh, Dow Jones back in 1983, where Warren Phillips, the chairman CEO, um, had mandated uh, that they go out and hire uh, several young black qualified men. And he placed it in their performance objective setting as well as their uh, performance mm -hmm. reviews. And um, there was a flood of great talent, black talent that came into to, to Dow Jones to, to, to their benefit. Uh, unfortunately, after he retired, um, it, it kind of stopped. However, um, I, I just saw, we talked about an article that was on LinkedIn the other day that Starbucks is saying that, hey, we're mm -hmm. going to do it and this is how we're going to do it. What are your thoughts about um, putting it in someone's performance objective setting as well as their performance review and uh, their, their annual bonus plan? I think if you are broad-minded about how you're going to measure things, right? Um, to put something in somebody's performance review or annual review and say not give them the resources to hire anybody new, <laughs> right? And then make changes in your numbers, that's, un that's unrealistic. Tell me that I can expand my team and you're gonna judge me on how well I, what kind of diversity I bring in when I expand that team. Now I've got something worthwhile. But there has to be that, uh, to really be successful, I think there has to also be some, some measure of sustainability. Because I can go out and hire five people off the street, potentially, right? right? But if I treat them poorly, mm -hmm. they're just going to get, they're going to get burnt out, they're going to get angry, and they're going to leave. Right. So hiring. So numbers are this is where numbers like people like to look at numbers because they're concrete, but they can be misleading and they they don't tell us the whole story. Right. It's that qualitative experience. Yes. Yes. Of do I feel like I can go into work and be as much of myself as I want to bring to the office? Because as a friend of mine has pointed out, sometimes we don't want to bring everything we have to the office, <laughs> right? I like to keep some of me at home, but I can bring everything I want. And I will not have inqu in get inquiries about the way I dress, the way I talk, the way I wear my hair, uh, the food that I eat or don't eat. Um, um, and I can feel like I can do that without being questioned or singled out or or left out of the processes that will lead to my own success because of those things yes yes you know joe believe it or not we are running out of time but before we go uh, please share with our audience how if someone wanted to hire you um, how can they reach you Great. I am, um, my company is called Terra Firma Cultural, um, and I can be found on the internet at 
terraformercultural, all one word, dot com. Wonderful. And we've got to have you back on the program because there's so much more uh, to, to, to talk about uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. But um, if you could, in the next 30, 40 seconds, share with us uh, what you would say to a CEO who says, I, I want to evolve my organization. I think the best way that companies can evolve in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion is to develop ways that are right for them that allows everybody in the company to be an ally and to be responsible for making the necessary changes to make everybody feel included. Excellent, excellent. Joe, I wanna thank you for coming on the program. Uh, this has been very uh, illuminating and I think it gives us a lot to think about. So ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Ms. Joe Burkholder. She's a diversity and inclusion consultant and expert as, as our in-studio guest. Joe, thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this broadcast and podcast of Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter. Remember, if you've missed any part of this interview or other 290 interviews, you can go to iTunes under Seton Hall University, Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter, and um, it's a free podcast. And we're all about leadership and, and helping people to grow. So we want to wish you to have a good evening, good day. But remember, Leadership begins with you. Have a good day.